Good morning. Thank you to the worship team for leading us in that worship. We'll continue to worship as we open God's Word. We've worshipped as we prayed and given our tithes and offerings to Him. And as we, as uh, as Verna mentioned, uh, today we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, as you can see in front of us here. And I thought this was a good time for us to uh, take a few minutes this morning and just stop and take a little longer reflection than we usually do on the Lord's Supper. Usually we take a, just a minute or two uh, around the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of what it's about and what, uh, what, what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And I thought today it might be appropriate that we uh, take some time and look at it a little deeper and look at it maybe from uh, a different perspective. And as you've, uh, if you've been uh, paying attention to the songs that were chosen this morning, you would have seen that theme repeating of uh, 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 pointing towards the Lord's Supper, the blood of Christ, and, and what does it, uh, what does it do, and what does it accomplish? And so I thought I'd turn, have us look, uh, and we can turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter nine, and we'll be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter nine, verse eleven to. 28 down to the end of the chapter. And you can see, if you, uh, if you look in your Bibles, uh, many of them will have a heading for that section called the blood of Christ. And so this is a very fitting uh, section that we turn to this morning. But sometimes we need to uh, stop and think about what it is that we're doing. You know, we fall into a routine and we don't think about it anymore. We don't, uh, we don't think about what we're doing. We just kind of do the same thing over and over again. And we, it takes someone to uh, come along and say, why are you doing that? And then you, you stop and you think, I, I'm not really sure. I've kind of forgotten why I started to do that. You know, it, it, it just simple things like the, the way you, the, the route you take uh, to work every morning. You know, you, you just fall into the same habit of going the same way. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've all had that similar sort of experience that I have. You know, if, if you know, usually you come out of your, your driveway and you, and you turn left and you start heading down this way. And once in a while, maybe you've got an errand to run or something and you need to turn right. But just out of habit, without even thinking, you, you, you know, you're going to work. So you get in your car, you drive away and you turn left and then you get a, a couple hundred meters down the road and then you realize... Actually, I needed to turn right and go and run this errand because we're so used to doing things a certain way. So we, we get into that kind of routine and we forget what we're doing and why we're doing it. We, uh, we can do this in, uh, in all different parts of our life. But we, we, we need to be careful uh, here in the church when we do these things like the Lord's Supper. We, uh, we do take time and really remember uh, what it is that uh, that we're doing here in uh, in VCBC, we have two of what we call ordinances or uh, religious ceremonies, if you want to call them that. Uh, one is the Lord's Supper; the other is baptism. And uh, I'll speak on baptism next week. Um, we have a baptism coming up in uh, December on December twentieth, so it's. It seems right that we should talk about both. They take a couple of weeks and talk about both these things that we do uh, here at VCBC. And so we do want to uh, uh, we do want to stop and, and think about these things. 
You know, and these things are important to us in the life of the church. They are important events that we use to celebrate and remember and uh, reflect on the things that bind us together. We, are, uh, we, we, we have, uh, many of us have been baptized. We share the Lord's Supper together. These things are things we do together that have some kind of meaning. And they represent something to us as individuals and to us as a body of Christ. And so, uh, we need to stop and, and reflect on those things. And we do. We have, we have various symbols that we use uh, in the church and in our community of faith that means something to each one of us and means something to us together. As well as the Lord's Supper here in this, even in this building, we have, we have a cross there, partly hidden by our screen behind me there. But we have a cross. And we know what that means. You go in a building and you see a building with a cross in it, you know that, that it, it conveys something to you. Just that image, just that uh, uh, piece of wood there uh, on, the, on the wall behind me. It means something to us. It says something about who we are. It's a, it's a symbol of something. It's a symbol, of course, a representation of the, cross, of the cross that Jesus died on. And that's why it is crucial. It is the central point of our faith. And that's why it's there uh, on our wall. But it's a symbol representing something. We know that's not the cross that Jesus died on. It's, it represents something to us. And the Bible gives us some of these other symbols. A rainbow. God has taken a rainbow and He has given it some meaning after Noah and the flood and He's given it a special meaning. He said, every time you, know, you see that rainbow, you remember something. It, so these symbols that we have uh, uh, have some meaning to us. And this is the Lord's Supper. It's not, we, we, we talk about the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is not the body of Jesus. It's not the blood of Jesus. It is a symbol that represents that to us. And so we stop and we reflect on it. We reflect on the Lord's uh, Supper. And so today, as we uh, partake in a few minutes of the Lord's Supper, as we share that experience together as a community of faith, I want us to stop and think about it. Uh, a little more deeply. So we, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 28, and we'll see four things about the, the sacrifice that Christ has made. We talk about communion being His body broken for us and His blood shed for us. And so we, uh, in this passage in the book of Hebrews, we'll see uh, these four things that tell us something about Christ's sacrifice. But first, we just a, a little bit of an introduction to the book of Hebrews here. Um, Hebrews is a book probably written to Hebrew believers, which is why it's called the book of Hebrews. We don't know for sure. Hebrews is an interesting book because it's, some of these things are not clear. Some of the things that we normally expect to find in a, in a book of the Bible, and especially in the New Testament letters, are not there. It's, there's no identification of who wrote it or who the recipients are. Uh, so there's uh, we, we don't know as the way we do in other in other uh, books of the New Testament, where Paul clearly identifies himself as the writer and someone else as the recipient. And here uh, we don't have that connection here in uh, in the book of Hebrews. 
So we're left a little bit wondering who was it that wrote the book of Hebrews? Historically, the church has said Paul wrote it, but there is some question about that. And in the end, we say uh, God only knows, and in some ways it doesn't really matter who wrote it. Uh, it was probably written before the destruction of the temple. There are references to the temple in the book of Hebrews, and they all are in the present tense. So it means that the temple was still there. Timothy is mentioned in the book of Hebrews in the closing words. And he, and he says something about those in Italy. So there's some connection to Italians. Either he was with some Italians or he was writing to those in Italy. And we, again, we don't know. So in all these things, we're left with a bunch of questions about Hebrews. But the content of the book is very clear to us. It is all about the supremacy of Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews says Christ is superior to the angels. He is superior to Moses. He is superior to the priests. He is superior to the old system of sacrifices. Everywhere you turn, every aspect you look at Christ, you see He is superior in every way. And we rejoice in that. And then the book ends with a recalling of those of faith who stood strong uh, in their faith. And, in, and then it gives an encouragement to live like them. And so here we come to uh, this section of, uh, of text in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 28. And we remember that this was written to those who under, probably under, had a clear understanding of the Old Testament sacrifices, the, the, the temple worship practices that were going on. And so, he doesn't explain them, but he, 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 he shapes his explanation of who Christ is and what He does in terms of those Old Testament sacrifices and practices in the temple. And so that's why it seems that it's clear is written to Hebrew believers because they would have understood all of that. And he's trying to make this connection and show that Christ is superior to all those things. Christ is the new covenant. He brings the new covenant. So here, the first thing, let's read uh, just the first two verses, verse, uh, the first, uh, verse 11 and 12. And he says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood having obtained eternal redemption. So there's lots of things that he mentions in here. And you can see uh, the references to the high priest, to the tabernacle, uh, to the, uh, the blood of goats and calves, the most holy place. You see already just in these two verses, several references to what was happening in the Old Testament uh, 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 religious practices there. But we see his point there is that Christ entered heaven through His blood. Through His own blood. And so first there, he's just making that point that, that Christ did not enter into heaven by any other means other than His own blood. Now, we, 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 we can understand that in some ways. You know, we're used to paying some kind of entrance fee. You know, if you, if, if you want to go and, and participate in something, you have to pay an entrance fee. If you go to a restaurant, you can't just sit there and, and drink a glass of water and leave. They want you to 
order some food. It's kind of like your, your entrance fee. You know, and when you, uh, uh, when you go to see a, see a movie, they require you to pay something to, to watch. There's, there, there's, always, uh, there's always some kind of payment that's required. Years ago, when, uh, when Lydia and I were uh, a little bit younger and had a little more time and a little less wisdom, uh, we got invited to uh, uh, this, this uh, I guess it was just sort of a random thing on the phone, uh, one of those telemarketers or something, and they invited us to come and enjoy a beautiful dinner, and all you had to do was sit through a short presentation after. And any of you who, yeah, there's some of you who are smiling. You know where I'm going with this, right? So we go, uh, we, we thought, yeah, okay, let's do that. So, uh, but there was a catch, right? So you, we, we went, you know, we thought, oh, that's good. So we went, the dinner was okay. It wasn't really anything special. And uh, during the dinner, there was a presentation. It was for timeshares. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a presentation about it, a very, very nice presentation, and we sat and listened to it. But after dinner, now, there was the catch. There was the real catch. They took us in a little room and sat us down with a, with a salesman who gave us a high, high-pressure sales talk. And he kept repeating and he kept going after us and wanting us to sign up for it. And I think I used up a lifetime of, no thanks, I'm not interested. No thanks, I'm not interested. And he kept going and we kept saying, no thanks, we're not interested. There was a catch to that dinner. You know, it didn't, it didn't come free. We didn't get to go and enjoy that dinner without uh, giving up some time and, uh, and a bit of energy. And we learned, fortunately, we, we did learn a lesson along the way. It's like, we're not going, ever going to any one of those things ever again. That was not worth it, you know. Even though the dinner was free, it was not worth it. The, the cost was too high. Anyway, back to our text here. Christ entered the, 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 the most holy place, it says, once for all by His own blood. Once for all by His own blood. And he said he having attained, obtained eternal redemption. He's saying here there's only one way into heaven. Many others might try. Uh, there might be other attempts to go to heaven. You might try and earn a place there through your good works. You might try and uh, find a different way. But he's saying there is only one way. There is one way for Christ into uh, to, to get into the most holy place. And He did it once for all with His own blood. There is only one way into the presence of God, the Most High, and that's through the blood of Christ. And that's why we, t- we take time and we remember it. And we, we remember the Lord's Supper. We remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Because that gave us that way into the, into the most holy place, into the very presence of God. And Jesus Himself, uh, He knew this. This wasn't something... Uh, he, he knew what He was doing. Back in the Gospel of John, in John chapter, uh, chapter 14, um, John chapter 14, verses 1-6, to six, he's with, Jesus is with His disciples and He says, but do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me uh, that you also may be where I am. 
You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly what his sacrifice was going to mean. There is one way to God. And only one way. And Jesus says, I am that way. I am the truth and the life. And here, in, back in Hebrews chapter 9, He says, He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood. There was no other way for Him to get there. He had come down from heaven and He had lived on earth and now it was time for Him to return. And the, the, the writer is writing after Christ had ascended back into heaven and there is only one way that He can go and that was through His own blood and He is setting that example for us. That idea, though, that there's only one way kind of goes against our, our grain. It goes against our, our own feeling. We don't like there to be only one way. We have a saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Kind of an unpleasant uh, expression. Uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to do things. There always has to be more than one way of doing things. Who among you, who, who here is, is a Star Trek fan? There's a few of you. Any of you up in the balcony? Are you all asleep? There's a, there's a few up in the balcony, okay. Okay, if I, if I say the words Kobayashi Maru, does it mean anything to you? Who, who, does, who, who, who does that resonate with? Anybody? There's a, there's a few. Okay, in Star Trek, there was a, a scene where uh, the, the Captain Kirk has to, ha, is put in a no-win situation. And he cannot accept that. And so he reprograms the whole computer simulation so that he can win. Because he just can't accept that there is no way to win. And that's what we're all like. We, we want to have more than one way. We, we, we fly on an airplane. We have lots of ways out of the airplane if something happens. We have lots of ways out of this building. We don't like to be stuck with just one way, but here, the Bible is telling us there is only one way into Christ, into, into the heavenly realm, and that into the presence of God, and that's through Christ. God does not create a second option. He does not create another way, a back door, uh, a secret passage into the most holy place. It's through the blood of Christ. Sin demands a price. And that's our sin is what's keeping us from heaven, from the most holy place. And that price that uh, has to be paid is a sacrifice. And Christ made that sacrifice for those who put their faith in Him. Christ's sacrifice opens the door for us to go into the most holy place. And so we see there in the, the, in, in, in the first case here, the first point here is that Christ entered heaven through His blood. Then we move on and look at verses 13-14 to 14, and it says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
This is a fascinating passage. We could spend hours looking at all the little uh, nuances in these uh, and all the little meanings that go along with this, but we do need we, we do have limited time here. Uh, but we see here that Christ's blood cleanses our conscience so we so that in order that we can serve God. So here in verse 13 and 14, we see that uh, Jesus um, uh, was both the priest. He was the one who was offering up the sacrifices. It says how much, verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, so He offered, that's the act of, a, that's the role of a priest is to offer the sacrifice. So Christ is there as a priest offering the sacrifice, but He offers Himself as a sacrifice. So he is also, at the same time as being the priest, he is also there himself as the sacrifice that's being offered. The high priest had to be uh, uh, separate and undefiled from the ordinary. A high pri- the high priest went through all sorts of rituals to ensure that he was, uh, he was uh, able to offer the sacrifices in a worthy way. He went through all of this just so he could offer the sacrifice. Jesus now turns that all upside down and instead the the priest is offering himself as a totally pure sacrifice. Doing away with all the other sacrifices. There was no need for any other sacrifice after this. And it says that uh, it, it, it points us to the idea that Jesus was Himself unblemished. And you know, when they, uh, when they looked in the Old Testament, when they looked for animals to make the sacrifice, they looked for an unblemished one. It had to be without a mark, without a defect. But that was only as far as the human eye could see. And it was only on the outside. They, could only, they couldn't see the inside of the animal. They didn't know what kind of defect might be there inside. They could just, but they could, all they could do was look at the outside. Of the animal, and they could see that it was it was uh, unblemished on the outside, and so they would uh, they would they would be able to use that animal in the sacrifice. Now Jesus is entirely different. Jesus is completely without blemish, both on the inside and the outside. He he offered himself unblemished to God. The entire being of Christ is pure and unblemished. He is a perfect. Perfect sacrifice. And it says in verse 13 there that that this sprinkling of the blood, it it made things outwardly clean. It didn't really get inside. And part of the problem was the sacrifice there just wasn't sufficient. Think about what this would have done though. Think of the, 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 the upset in the Jewish community here all of a sudden after thousands of years of practicing these sacrifices, One man comes along and says, now we have a new covenant. And we're going to overturn all of that sacrificial system. In fact, we have put an end to it in a way because I have come and I have fulfilled all of those. Imagine what that would have done. Imagine the resistance that would have been there. You, you one man are coming and saying, now all this is finished? We have been doing this for thousands of years and now you're saying we don't need to do this anymore because of 
something you did. Imagine what that would have been like. It was a radical departure. And it helps us to understand how the Jews responded to Jesus. It was like, this, is, this cannot be. They just couldn't bring themselves to, to get their minds around that this is something, this is something new. But here it is. It is something new. It is something radically different. The priest himself offering himself as a sacrifice. And so in verse 14, it says, uh, uh, it says, the, the blood of Christ. Who is giving the sacrifice? It's the blood of Christ. How is he doing this? He's doing this in an unblemished way. And he's offering himself. And he's going to cleanse our conscience. Not just uh, cover over something, but He's going to cleanse our conscience. And it's important there at the end of verse 14, what is the purpose of all of that? It's so that we may serve the living God. He did it so that we would be able to serve the living God, coming to Him with uh, clear consciences. Our consciences are, sometimes we refer to them, they are seared. That, that we become blind to our sin. We are not aware of it anymore. We can't follow God uh, because we don't see what's happening. We don't see what's going on in our own lives. We don't see the sin, but uh, Christ has come to cleanse us, to make us aware, and then to cleanse us from our sins to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death from our sin and enable us, empower us to be able to serve God. So, the, so the, the, in a way, the end of the story is Jesus did all that to save us from our sin, to provide us to a way into heaven, but also so that we can serve God here on earth. There is a purpose for it. It's not just to make us feel good and not just to... Uh, uh, so that we can uh, participate in the Lord's Supper, just so we can enact this, uh, uh, this, this ordinance here in the church. But He came so that we can serve. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, we also need to be reflecting on that aspect of service. Why are we serving? Who are we serving? What's, going on? what's, what's happening in our lives? Am I responding to what Christ has done for me? So Christ offers uh, something that can undo the, the sin in our life and the burden that we feel from, our, from that. It can turn aside the, the punishment that should be due to us. Ultimately, the sacrifice of Christ provides us with a final and complete cure of sin. Through the blood of Christ, one day we will, we will be resurrected. We will come back to life. And we will have all of our sin taken care of. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44, Paul writes and he says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is so in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 
There's a bit of a mystery about what all this means and how all this happens and when does all this happen. But what is clear is that uh, as we come to Christ, as we put our faith in Him, He gives us a hope that this resurrection that Jesus has, that has happened for Jesus, being brought back from the dead and taken up to heaven will happen to us too. And that fills us with a hope and a joy that all this will be taken care of. This body that is so imperishable, this weak and fragile body somehow will be raised and it will be imperishable. It will last forever. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we have that hope. It's sown in dishonor. It's sown in sin and it's raised in glory. We have that hope that our sin will be taken care of finally, once and for all, and we won't have to carry that burden with us. And we all do, even though we know the forgiveness that comes from Christ, we still feel that burden of our sin. We still, we still sin. And we don't like it. And we go, Lord, I long for the day when I won't continue to do that. And Paul gives us that hope. It's coming. It's coming because of the blood of Christ. It's sown in weakness. We have weaknesses. We have failings. We struggle with ourselves and we say, why do I do that? Why can't I do that? I know I should do that. And we have a hope that one day it will be raised in power and we won't have to battle those weaknesses anymore. It's so in a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. We have no idea really what that means. What is a spiritual body? But we have that hope that we will be raised, resurrected and transformed in that resurrection. And that's the hope that Christ is offering to us through His sacrifice. And all this is done for the purpose of serving here on earth. It's not just a future hope, but there's a purpose for it today too. God didn't send His Son to suffer and die for us so we can sit around and watch TV and play video games. He came and, and, and died for us. Sacrificed Himself for us so that we can serve Him. So we need to uh, do that. To think about how can I serve God? Take time and think about how am I responding to God and what He's done for us, for me. And serving. Finding a way to serve God. And I know lots of us are serving in many ways, but we all need to stop and look and say, am I serving, uh, am I serving in a way that reflects what God wants me to do? That reflects what He has done for me? So we've seen here first that, uh, that Christ entered uh, heaven through His blood, that Christ's blood cleanses, us, cleanses our conscience so we can serve. And then it says in verse 15 that Christ's death frees us from our sin and He gives us eternal life. For this reason, it says, verse Hebrews 9.15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that He has died a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Again, lots of interesting words in there. There's a new covenant, a promise of eternal life, a ransom. There's all sorts of questions around those. So again, a passage that uh, can ask all sorts of questions here. But, but really He's saying the Old, the, the, the Old Testament gives no freedom. He, he, he has died to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The, the first covenant revealed our sin. It shows us our sin. Christ's sacrifice frees us from that. The new covenant reveals 
uh, and uh, the promise that we have, fulfills the promise and the hope that we have. And Christ is the mediator or the facilitator of that new covenant. So we can add that into uh, to his titles there. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the mediator. He comes in between to help make this happen. And that's what a mediator does is he comes in between uh, two parties and helps to make something happen in some kind of negotiation or maybe some dispute. A mediator comes in between them and facilitates some kind of dialogue and some kind of progress in the discussion. And here, Christ is the mediator. He is the one who brings in that new covenant. And He does it through His blood and through His body. So, He brings us freedom. And what kind of freedom is that? The, the, the people of Jesus' day were looking at this, uh, were looking uh, for freedom. Freedom from, uh, from political oppression. They were, they were feeling oppressed by the Roman government that were there and ruling it over them. And they were looking for that kind of freedom and Jesus didn't offer that to them. He frees us from guilt and shame instead. He frees us from our sin. We might struggle with that a little bit. That idea of guilt and shame. It's, those aren't attractive kind of things that we talk about in our society today. Instead, we have a society that says everything goes. Everything is acceptable. We don't like the word sin. It's ugly. It's an ugly word. It's mean and kind of judgmental. And we don't like to to say that I'm a sinner, but that's what the Bible tells us. Christ died as a ransom to set us free from our sins. That's what the Bible says. That's how... It describes what Jesus has done for us. And so, Christ's death frees us from that sin. From that penalty of our sin. Then he goes in from verse, six, <coughs> excuse me, from verse 16 to 23. The writer there uh, stops. And he goes, it doesn't stop. He goes off on an interlude. And he goes down and he talks about the importance of blood for sacrifice. So he's been talking about the sacrifice and the sacrifice that Christ has made, the blood that He has shed. And he stops for a a few sentences here just to describe the importance of uh, the blood for sacrifice. It was needed. It says, in fact, in verse 22, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So blood is important. And he says the things in the temple were sprinkled with blood, but they were, in verse 23, he says, they were only copies of the heavenly, heavenly things. So they weren't the, the real thing. They were simply copies of that. And the blood of the animals that was sprinkled on the copies only did so much. It only cleansed on the outside. Christ's sacrifice was so much better. was so much different. He was a perfect sacrifice. Not just perfect on the outside, but perfect on the inside. Perfect in every way. And His blood was sprinkled on the real thing. Not the the, the earthly representation of some heavenly things, but His blood was sprinkled on the heavenly things. And His blood perfectly paid the price for our sacrifice. And then back to our text, the last section in verses 24-28. to 
It's Christ's sacrifice was once for all to bring salvation and give hope. So in verse 24 to 28, it says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did He enter heaven to offer Himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Jesus appears on our behalf. And He does it He does it once for all. It says the, the sacrifice was once for all. He appeared once for all and he, uh, he is sacrificed once to take away the sins. So, of course, in the Old Testament, there were regular sacrifices to be offered. Jesus comes and He does it once. Puts an end to the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial system. His sacrifice was sufficient. It doesn't need to happen again and again. We don't need to have Jesus come and be crucified every week to make the payment for our sins. Once was enough. But we need to remember that sacrifice. And that's what we're doing here today at the Lord's Supper. We're remembering the sacrifice that He has given. His sacrifice was sufficient. We might think that our sins are too bad or that maybe we've done something and God could never forgive me. But His sacrifice was sufficient. No matter what sin is in your life, His sacrifice is boundless and it is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And it only happened once. But he gives a little warning in here, verse 27. He says, just as man is destined to die once and then after that to face judgment, he warns us there's judgment coming. We all will die once. Just the way Christ was sacrificed once, we all die once. We're not coming back and living this life again and trying to get a, a do it right the second time. We have one chance. And then we're going to face judgment. And what are we going to say? What are we going to say at that point of judgment? We're going to say, I'm guilty. If we're honest with ourselves, I've sinned. But the blood of Christ has covered my sin. There is hope in that judgment. There is hope in that judgment. And we have that, that hope and He leaves us with that uh, word of hope. He says he's waiting to bring salvation, or he's, he's coming again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So there's judgment, but there's hope. There's judgment and there's hope. We don't have to uh, despair in the judgment that's coming, but we can have the hope as we put our trust in Christ. And so we come to the Lord's Supper here. We come wanting to celebrate. We come because we have that hope in Him because of the sacrifice He has, been made, he has made. And we remember what He has done for us. And so we often turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to remind us of what Jesus has done. Paul says he's received this from uh, the Lord Jesus. 
He says, for I, for 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And so he received this from Jesus himself, somehow, in some way. And he says, this is the, this is the story. He ties it back into Passover. And it's a reminder of the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We are to remember what Jesus has done. So let's take time. Let's take a moment. We've shared a few minutes here together, but as the servers come, let's prepare our hearts and remember what Jesus has done for us. As the servers come and the worship team comes Back, I want us to, uh, now we've been talking about the Lord's Supper. Now is the time for us to share this together. Remembering what Jesus has done for us. Remembering the sacrifice. His blood that was shed for us. His body that was broken for us. The Lord's Supper is something we do in remembrance of Jesus. And we do it uh, together as a body of Christ. So it's for those who have come to the point in their life where they have accepted Christ as their Savior. Where they have followed Him in obedience to be baptized. And we join together in sharing this meal. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I just ask you to take time to reflect on what Jesus has done. Think about it and think, does this mean something to me? Do I have... Am I, am I burdened by a sin in my life? Take that time. Let the elements pass. And if you're still waiting to take the step of obedience in, in baptism, think about that too. Think about, is it time for me to take that step of uh, obedience and joining with Christ in being baptized? But all of us, we can take that time to remember together the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your sacrifice. We thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to come to earth to live and die and sacrifice Himself for us. It's only through the blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven. And as we take this cup, as we take this bread together, Lord, help us to remember Jesus and the sacrifice He made for us. Help us to also sense the unity that we have as we take this together, acknowledging that we are part of one body, that we are part of Your family. And Lord, help us to remember today as we take this, this, uh, this bread and this cup. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.